the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hello, this is Pastor Josh. Thank you so much for listening to the Overflow Podcast. It's very encouraging to know that there are people out there listening uh, to all the amazing things that are happening in our church and that are connected to us that way. I also wanted to let you know that we have recently moved our podcast host in an attempt to make our podcast experience better. So if you're having some glitches with your feed, I just encourage you to go uh, refresh your subscription or resubscribe to the podcast. And also, if you do not mind, it would really help us out a whole lot if you would go to the iTunes store and just leave a review on the podcast. Uh, Just share maybe a brief story. Uh, We'd love to hear of all the great ways that God is using this podcast uh, to encourage people. So if you could leave that review, that would be greatly appreciated. Again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And let's get into today's message. We're really talking about exploring the wonder of God. We're talking about worship. This is a worship series because one of the values that we have here at Overflow is we value the presence of Jesus. We we believe uh, that every time we gather, everywhere we go, we value the presence of Jesus. We want the presence of Jesus to be with us in our gatherings, in our corporate gatherings, whenever we're hanging out, eating food, whenever we're, we're going over to somebody's house just to drink coffee, whenever we're going to the mall, wherever. We value the presence of Jesus because we know that when Jesus comes, he he reveals himself, which is, first of all, the best thing, that he's just like, I'm here. And we're like, cool. You don't have to do anything else. Just that you're here, great. But, but when he shows up, he just has a nature about him. He likes to speak. He likes to heal. And he likes to transform lives. So we value that. And because we value that, we know that whenever we worship him, that he invades the atmosphere in a tangible way. And so last week, we started off this series. If you weren't here, I know a lot of y'all weren't here last week. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. It really sets the groundwork uh, for this series. And we talked about realities of, of, being, uh, of, of living a fascinated life. And we just talked about how Jesus is full of wonder. So when we say that Jesus is wonderful, we're saying that he is full of wonder, that he's, that he's continuously one, wonderful in the sense that every time I look at him, I'm filled with wonder because he is full of wonder. It, and, it, and it's not like he's, when we think full, we think like it has a capacity, you know, that, that can only be so full. Like your gas tank, you might only be able to fit 25 gallons in there. But, but the thing with Jesus is because he's eternal, he actually doesn't have a cap to his fullness, if that makes sense. So he's full, but like he's not full, right? He's full, but unending. And so, and it says this in Mark nine fifteen. it says that whenever the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. And it says that they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran out to greet him. And I love that so much. And we talked about that whenever we start to discover the beauty of Jesus, that worship is not a task, it's a response. That when we see how beautiful he is, it just commands worship. Not commands worship in the sense that it is a commandment, but it just, it, it pulls it out of us. When, when, when Jesus reveals himself, and some of you have had, the, had these moments today, when Jesus shows up, it's, you don't have to force yourself to get into a mode to worship him. You're just like, oh, my gosh. Right? Hammer down. Oh, I have to worship. It's just, it's just a response. It's, 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 a, it's actually like a reaction. I just, whoa. 
He's amazing, right? I worship you, Lord. And we, we see that in the book of Revelation. And we talked about he, that he's mysterious, that he, that he is, that he's incredibly mysterious, but he's not unsearchable. And so whereas God is mysterious, and so many times we'll dismiss our pursuit of God, how many know that when, God, when we talk about God being mysterious, it isn't a closed door, it's an open door. And so many times we'll say, well, God's a mysterious God to kind of close a thought pattern, right? Or to close a conversation, well, I don't understand. Well, God's a mysterious God. The end. That is not a period when we say God is mysterious. It's a comma. God is mysterious, but not unsearchable. And that's probably not good English, but because um, I'm really bad at that. And some of y'all know because you've read my text messages and emails and Facebook posts. All right. Number three, he invites us to explore his wonder. Because he's not not hidden because he's not caught up in being hidden. He invites us to explore his wonders. So in his fascination, in his beauty, he's saying, will you come and discover who I am? Will you come and explore the wonder? Will you, will you go down the, the bunny hole? Will you go down, will you open Pandora's box and discover me for who I really am? And so that's what we talked about last week. Again, I want to encourage you to go and spend some time listening to the podcast. Um, it's just a good time. I really felt like our hearts were provoked and uh, that's really what we're going after. But today I want to talk a little bit about that response. Like, what does that response look like? And in, in order for us to have a response, we got to recognize that we are created for something. Now, when we talk about us being created, we have all different, you know, t-shirts and slogans that say, this is why we were created. But can I tell you that the main reason that God created us, it wasn't because he was bored, but because God wanted to experience pleasure. It's because he wanted to. How many know that God does what he wants to do, right? And so when God created people, he wanted to create them. He said, I want to create people. I want to create lovers, if you will. I want to create people that, that, that I can interact with. Now, it wasn't because of God was bored. We kind of, I, I remember someone telling me that one time, God was lonely. And so he created people. No, no, no. There are plenty of creatures in heaven already, right? But God said, I wanted to create people. And so it, it says this in, in Colossians 1 verse 16. It says, everything was created through him and for him. God didn't create you for you. I hate to break it to you, but you're not here for you. You're here for God. Now, whenever we get that perspective right, everything changes, right? And so God didn't create you just to be some, and on the flip side of that, he didn't create you to be some kind of minion. Because if he created you as a robot that you just went around and all how much pleasure would he get out of that kind of interaction? Right? Revelation chapter 4, and we, we talked about Revelation last week. And it says this, and we we. Let's just kind of pick up where we were at in the story. John, again, having this revelation of heaven, every, he's, just, he's, he's totally blown away by Jesus. And again, we, we talked about revelation is not, it, it, it includes the end time, but it's the revelation of Jesus, not the revelation of the Antichrist, not a revelation of the last of days. It's the revelation of Jesus. So it says this, day after day, night after night, they kept on singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is still to come. And whenever the living, living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting upon the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. Now, we talked about this, that, that they had been there for ages, for millennials, they have been there singing this song, holy, and they're not bored. Because with each holy is a new revelation. They're going, whoa. 
I'm totally blown away. The word holy actually means uncommon. So they're saying, you're totally different. You're different than anything I've ever known. I, I'm, wow. And then it's like they walk around the throne and they're like, whoa, right? It's a whole new revelation. They're just getting, they're getting land blasted on this glimpse of Jesus because they're looking at this man who's multifaceted. He's like Jasper and they're just, they're getting just totally. And some of y'all are like, what are you talking about? Just go back and listen to the podcast. And so they're getting this crazy revelation of who he is. And they've been doing this forever. And what's crazy is it's going to continue. And it says, and then they say this, it says, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. So God created what he pleased. He created what pleased him. He didn't do it because he was, he had a cosmic obligation to do it. I love the way the King James, I normally don't like the way the King James says things, but I do like it. In this case, it says, for thy pleasure, they are and were created. So you were created out of God's pleasure. Isn't that fun? You were created out of his pleasure, for his pleasure, to experience his pleasure. You were created for pleasure. Now, the problem is, is when we start looking outside of God for pleasure. See, we were created for God, not for ourselves. So when we start functioning out of the flesh and doing things that bring pleasure to our flesh, it's called sin. God didn't create you for that. Y'all all right? So, we were created for God's pleasure. Secondly, we were designed... To worship. We are designed to worship. We are designed for worship. We are not simply created to worship. I know you've seen the, the, the t-shirt, right, that you got at uh, Mardell, right? Created to worship. Right? I, I know, it's great. Um, but, but you weren't just created, simply created to worship. You were created as a worshiper. See, you are a worshiper. And I'm not talking about the way you respond in a service. You are a worshiper. It's in your DNA. It's in your genetic code. You're designed to worship. For example, Moses, when Moses leads the children of Israel, he gets the people in the camp, and Moses is meeting with God and all this stuff. And so Moses, so God tells Moses, he's like, you need to come and encounter me. So Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the, the covenant, right, the Ten Commandments. Now, Moses is gone for 40 days, all right? So the children of Israel were like... He's been gone so long. So they go to Aaron, the second in charge, and they tell him, they say, hey, Aaron. They say, and you can find this in Exodus 32. It says that they went to Aaron, and Aaron was, uh, was like, they were like, we, we, where's our leader? We need to, like, worship. We have no one to lead us in worship. Create for us a God. Create something for us to worship. So it said that they gave him their earrings and their nose rings and their their uh, belly button rings and their uh, navel rings and their, you know, their, uh, what do you call them, those gauges. They were giving them all their jewelry, and they melted down all their jewelry, and they created a golden calf to worship. Now, why did they do He was only gone for 40 days. <laughs> and first of all, it tells us that we all need leadership in our lives. But secondly, it tells us that we all long to worship. 
There is something in us that calls us to worship. It be, why? Because it's in our design. We are all worshiping something. You are worshiping something. During worship today, you were worshiping something. You might have been worshiping something that wasn't here in the place, but something that was in your mind. You might have been worshiping Jesus. Most of us have a God in our life. In fact, let me just say this. All of us have a God in our life. Now, whether it is God or whether it is yourself, that's what makes a difference. And most people, their God is their self. Most people. That's the reason why we have such a hard time yielding to the God of creation. Because we are worshiping ourselves. And so our perspective is what pleases me, what makes me happy. This is what makes me tick. This is how I'm designed. This is what I want to do. I want to do that. And so we live in rebellion towards our purpose to worship God. We start worshiping ourselves. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're bowing down, but, it, but, but that is the thing that dominates your thinking. That is the thing that dominates your decisions. Let me just say this. Two resources that reveal what we're worshiping. Our time and our money. What God do you serve? Now, I'm not talking about your tithe and what's going on in church. That too. But where's most of your money going towards? Material things? Right? In America, we're consumed with entertainment. We talked about this last week. One of the biggest gods in America is entertainment. Education is a god in America. I'm not saying that if you go to school and spend a lot of money in school, I'm not saying that you're an idolater, but it is an idol in our nation. Sports. How much of our money, how much of our time goes into all these things that God didn't really create you for, but you're doing them for your pleasure. And there's nothing wrong with us doing these things as long as they are not the primary. Are you with me? So it, it is about priority. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, when God is first, there is no second. <laughs> like, oh, that's really good. Like, he is the priority. He's not a priority. He's not on the list to check off. He's the priority. He's, the, he's central to our life. Everything revolves around him. So if I am doing education, what is my intent? So if I am making lots of money, what is my intent? Is it just to live in a big house and drive nice cars and have lots of things so I can be fat and have food and really nice stuff and everybody can go, look at you, let's celebrate you? Or is it so I can be a blessing? Right? Jesus is central. It's what my life revolves around. Are you okay? Okay. So we're all designed to worship. Um, It is our design to worship him. To deviate from that is a violation. It's a violation against his command, but it's also a violation of your design. It's a violation of who you are because you're, God created you to be a worshiper of him. So, third of all, God is not looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers. Are you with me? So God doesn't walk into the room and go, worship me. Right? He's not, he's not this dictatorial God that says, worship me, bow down and worship me. Here I am. That's just not really the way he functions. He's looking for worshipers. And there's a difference. Check this out. John chapter 4. Jesus is talking. We talk, we talk about this story a lot. This is kind of our philosophy of ministry. A lot of it comes from this story. 
It's a prostitute, right? Most people believe that she's a prostitute. And Jesus is talking to her. And this is what she says. She says, sir, and we're not going to go into the story. We, we go into it a lot. But she says, sir, the woman says, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while the Samaritans claim it is here in Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship, worship? And Jesus said, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when you no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. So I'm not concerned about where you're worshiping. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming indeed. I love this. The time is coming indeed. It is here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. So he's not looking for the worship. He's looking for the worshiper. Right? For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, you know, that's a confusing thing. Spirit and truth. What does that mean? What is the mystery? Spirit meaning total engagement, total passion, spirit. Right? When you put your spirit into something, right? You're invested Completely, totality, invested, engagement, boom, you're there. And then in truth, the revelation of God's reality, right? There's a process, a revelation, a knowledge of who he is, a knowledge and revelation. I mean, you know, revelation and knowledge are different. We talked about that. So this is the call to worship him in spirit and in truth, that we would be worshipers that worship him in spirit, that we'd be totally engaged in truth of the revelation of Jesus of who he is, his reality. So if worship is a response, how do we live in response? How do we live a life of worship? Y'all are out today. When we say worship is a response, we're not talking about the task of worship. It's really about the exchange, the interaction that happens when we respond to his greatness. So we view worship as the time of the service, the CD that I bought, right? But really what God views as worship is the engagement, right? It's, it's, it's totally separate from music. Music, songs, all of that is a vehicle. Context of that doesn't matter. It can be if I can't worship God, if I can't worship God in a liturgical setting with no instruments, no lyrics, people are singing for songs that they know. If I can't come in and worship God in an environment like that, then I have an idolatry problem because I'm saying it has to be packaged this way in order for me to give him worth. What does that mean? That's saying that, that's saying that I've got to, I, that it's got to be set up for me. It's what I like. It's what I prefer. And worship is never about a song. It's never about a style. It's never about a person. It's always about God. So don't let those things be a distraction. They're great, they're great seasoning. Right? And you might not like the seasoning. Right? There's seasoning I don't like. I'm very opinionated when it comes to that. I don't know. The fact is, is can I? Will I? If the call goes, if I, if I walk into a room, you know, if I go to, you know, a real 
you know, I don't know, like a, like a, I don't know, I'll say like a Methodist church or, or something that's, you know, a cowboy church. If I go to church, there, and I can't, you guys know me. I hate country music. If I walk in there, I'm and I'm like, well, we're going to worship the Lord. And if I can't engage my father in that environment also, then I've got a problem. <laughs> Somebody lied to you. <laughs> so it's not about the style of what I experience. It's about the function that I'm breathing, bringing. <laughs> so, so, that's good. All right. So what does it look like? First of all, living a response looks like our attention. It's giving our attention. It's giving our undivided attention. I'm just like you guys, man. I walk into church. I'm probably a little worse than y'all. I walk into church. I've got 5,000 things running through my mind today. Today this happened. Things running through my mind. Where's so-and-so? I wonder where they're at. How's the computer messed up in KidFlow? Man, I hope the video plays right. Why is he missing? You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I'm thinking thousands of things going through my mind. Right? The distractions. What is worship? Worship is giving him my attention. It's that simple. How much of my, you see, we're so ADD in the spirit, right? We, I mean, I'm ADD in the natural. ADD, Pastor Adam says ADD, right? I'm super ADD in the natural, right? And if I'm not careful, I'll be ADD spiritually. So when it comes time to worship or it comes time to focus on whatever I'm doing, I'm distracted. I'm like, oh, it's like I've got 45 programs open on my computer. What's over there? Over there, over there, over there, right? Squirrel, right? It's like the whole thing. It's like, what's going on? And so, listen, if everything else has your attention, then nothing does have your undivided attention. But God wants our attention. So when it comes into worship, it's like, you know, it's funny, like, the things that we notice. And, and I'll take this on me because we're together. It's interesting that it's time to worship my God, and I'm thinking about the lighting. He wants my attention. And I'm going, this is more important right now with my mental capacity. Look at the way that person's acting. They shouldn't be doing that during worship. Why are they playing this song? I hate this song. I don't like this song. Oh, I love this song. Whatever it is. Attention. Oh, there's a chord there. No, Josh wouldn't play today. Okay. So when we talk about attention, we're talking about focusing on his reality in truth, right? When we give our attention in worship, when we give him our attention in worship, it becomes, the response is easy, right? It's easy to respond to a God that we're paying attention to, right? It's the same way when you're doing life, right? And we, we put up the guardrails of our morality, right? We're like, oh, Make sure I don't go over there. Can I tell you that when Jesus is the center of our focus, we don't have to set up guardrails. I mean, guardrails are great to have there. And you need to set them up. But, you, but when you're focused on Jesus, you don't, you don't pay attention to the guardrails. Set up the guardrails. Be careful about who you run with and what you do and what you put in your life and where you're going and how you're investing your t- Be careful. Set those things in place. But when you're focused on Jesus, you don't have to set up the guardrails. You stay on the right track. 
It's just, it's not, the Christian life isn't as much about discipline, and we need to have the disciplines. It's really about the person of Jesus. And if we could just stay engaged, giving him our attention on the things that we're doing, this is what worship looks like in truth. You know, because we talk about that, right? In truth, what, what is said is worship is a lifestyle. How many of you heard that before? Now, typically, I hear this from people that are, like, not really uh, worshipers in, the, in a moment, right? Like, they're like, oh, you know, they're kind of, like, jaded. They're like, well, I don't, worship's not really my thing. Worship is a lifestyle. I'm like, yes, yes, worship is a lifestyle. What do you mean by that? Okay? What do you mean by that? Worship is a lifestyle. Uh, 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 that's how I live. My understanding is this. Worship is a lifestyle means that we don't just do good at job, good at home, good at school, but we do it for him. So what we do is when we say worship is a lifestyle, we base it upon our performance of those things. It's not about the performance. The performance will come whenever our focus on those things is aligned. Stop focusing on your performance and start focusing on the one who is central to your life, the king of all creation. So it's not that we just do good, a job, home, school, et cetera, but we do it for him. I was created for your purposes. Our hearts are engaged with him when we do it. That's a battle, right? I'm just focusing on God when I'm doing this, when I'm doing my work, when I'm doing my grind. What do you have for me here, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Show me. This is what I've, I, I asked the Lord years ago, and I still, I still do. When I'm doing a task, something that's not spiritual in nature, I'm a spiritual being, so when I do it, it becomes spiritual. You too. And so what I do is I, is I ask the Lord this years ago, and I still ask the Lord this when I'm doing things. I'm like, Lord, would you show me something about who you are when I'm doing this? And I get so much revelation from doing things that are unspiritual just because I'm asking God to command my attention in it and because I'm giving him my attention although I'm doing something else. Y'all okay? All right. And let me just say this, that our labor uh, can be an act of worship. And, and I don't know where I'm going with this thought. I had it written down. Our labor can be an act of worship, but true worship is not laborsome. And so our labor, the things that we do, can be an act of worship. However, when we bring worship into the picture, we actually start bringing pleasure to what we don't enjoy. Counting pennies. I don't know. For lack of, I can't think of a worse job than that. Counting pennies. What do you do all day? I count pennies. You know that machine called Coinstar? Yeah, I'm the guy that sits in there and counts the money. Right? I don't know. <laughs> right? Or, you, like, you're the guy, we used to say, the guy that sits at the bottom, you know, they have those towers, those radio towers that have the light that flashes off and on. I was like, I'd hate to have the job of the guy that's turning that light switch off and on, right? Just say, that's your job, right? <laughs> Worst job ever, right? But you're just, you're doing it because you're kingdom-minded, because you love Jesus. You're like, man, God, show me who you really are. <laughs> Counting pennies, he can do both both those jobs at the same time. When we labor as as worshipers, when we labor as worshipers, it takes the sting out of the labor. 
because we bring pleasure to it. You may hate what you're doing, but you love God. So, and I get the complaint all the time. I hate my job. I hate my job. Normally when we have a hate towards our job, it's mostly because we don't trust that God has us there. Okay? I've been in jobs that I've hated. Okay? Not a lot, but I've had a few. But you may hate what you're doing, but you love God. So everything you do is unto the Lord, right? Because you're following the Bible. And so everything you do is as unto the Lord. Then when you actually find pleasure, then, then you can actually find pleasure in what you naturally hate to do. And so you might hate flipping that, flipping that switch on and off. Or whatever it is. Whatever your job is. Whatever your scenario is. Whatever the grind, the part of your life you despise. Because we all have it. But when you can love God, and you can bring his pleasure, and you can do it for God, you'll start enjoying the thing that you despise. And then you get promoted. I don't know why it works that way, but it tends to work out that way. So the complaint can be, gosh, I'm just so sick. Quarters, yeah, quarters is better than pennies. I mean, I might take that job, right? That might be the job, but when I can learn to love God through the... in the midst of the thing that I despise, and I can bring God's pleasure to it, I'm actually worshiping. And I'm actually trusting Him. <clears throat> and then He can bring the next thing that I hate. <laughs> or the thing that I love. <clears throat> Let me just say this also about those of you that are pursuing career, because I know that we have a lot of people in this. We have, you know, when we're young, we have dreams. One day I'll have it this way. Uh, one of the things that I found myself in, I'm just going to take a real personal moment here, is uh, I, I've done ministry most of my life. And that's what I wanted to do before I was ever in ministry full-time. I, I dreamed of that. I mean, I breathed. It oozed out of me. And then I got paid for it. And I can tell you today, and, and this is just personal experience, when you start getting paid for something, you lose a little pleasure. You lose a little pleasure because then you don't get to do it anymore. You actually have to do it because it becomes the source. It's really not. But it be, in our thinking, it becomes the source of what we have to do in order to get that paycheck. And that's a scary place to be. And so careful with your dreams, attaching money to it. If I could just get paid for this. It's like I can tell you I have had a dream job for 20 years. job that I dreamed of, but some days it still feels like work. And I have to bring God's pleasure to it. So don't give me, well, if my job was better, I would be better at worshiping God through it. It's not the case. In fact, sometimes it's just easier to get on default on something that you enjoy so much. Oh, I'm just so happy, just so happy that you haven't even thought about God today. Just love what I get to do. Right? Y'all okay today? All right. So I, I'm, the question today in this point is, what has your attention? What has your attention? Can I tell you today that God is jealous for your attention? Exodus 20, verse 3. It's a tough one. You must have no other God before me, 
You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind of an image or anything in the heaven or on the earth. Other words, anything can become an idol. Anything that takes priority of your thought life is an idol. Dang it. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God and will not tolerate your affections for other gods. Ouch. God will not tolerate not having our attention. Listen, I I heard Oprah Winfrey. I'm a huge Oprah Winfrey fan. Not... And delete that from the podcast. And so she, she said this one time. She's like, I just couldn't, I couldn't go to church. I couldn't do that thing anymore, serve God thing anymore. Because how can I serve a God who's jealous for me, or jealous, jealous of me? She said that. And Leslie and I were watching this, and I was just like, oh, man, she's so deceived. And Leslie says, woman. <laughs> and I was thinking the same thing she said. She said, woman, he's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. And I was like, that's exactly right. God is jealous for you. He will have no other gods. He wants you all to himself. How fascinating that a God like that would want me. It's fascinating. Why would he want me? Because it brings him pleasure. Because I bring him pleasure. Because you bring him pleasure. That's why he wants you. He enjoys you. Beloved, he enjoys you. God enjoys you. He's not mad. He's not frustrated that he created you. He's not like, well, I wish they would just get it together. He enjoys you. He wants you to get it together, but he still enjoys you. Y'all have kids? Are they frustrating? Do you wish they would not do that? Yes but you still enjoy them. You still have pleasure over them because you created them. Mm-hmm. Come on. All right. <clears throat> so what has your attention? Listen, and I'm going to read through this because we need to move along. When we compliment versus complaint, declare his goodness over the weight of a situation, express mercy instead of judgment. When we're expressing his nature over the natural, we are giving him our attention. So there's a thing that you can complain about. Instead, you compliment. So there's a thing where you want to be full of justice, but you bring mercy. You're giving him your attention. This is what you would do, God. When we give more attention to our worry, frustration, or irritation than focusing on his power, we are actually giving power to that tension to govern our lives. What happens is that when I'm frustrated about something and I react out of my frustration instead of responding with a heart of worship, a heart that's towards God, giving him my attention, what happens is I give power to the thing that I'm frustrated over. And it will dictate my actions. It'll dictate my thought patterns. And if I do that enough, it will develop a pattern in my life and a stronghold in my life that I'll I'll just be that way. Well, it's just the way I am. Well, you got that way. Because you gave power to that tension. You gave power to that irritation, to that thing that frustrates you. Oh, it just gets on my nerves. This is the way I am. Well, get over it. 
Just get over it and get into Jesus. When you start being frustrated at a person, start feeling God's pleasure over them. Calming down. When we elevate a problem over his power, we've committed idolatry. You missed it, Emma. Okay. <laughs> we elevate our problem over his power. We have committed adultery. So he wants your attention. Number two, he wants your affection. The, the Greek word for worship is proskuneo, which it gives us a picture of a dog licking a master's hand. Now, it's not like, oh, you're just a measly dog. Come lick my hand. I am God. Lick my hand. No, it's not like that. But it's the affection that you and your dog would, would have. It's, 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 it's the kissing of the hand. It's the loving on. It's the affection that takes place. Luke 10, 25. This is one day an expert in, re, in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? <laughs> How do you read it? You're an expert. You tell me. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. What is it? Totality. It's talking about spirit, the total totality of who you are. And love your neighbors yourself. Right? Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. Every morning when I take my kids to school, we do a couple of things. First thing they do is they do a little declaration. Today is going to be a good day. I'm going to obey people and to do good things. It's this little thing. And then we do the memory verse, the kid's little memory verse. And then right after, right after that, I pray over them. On the way to school, I'm driving while I pray. Can you believe that? I'm spiritual. Lord, just be with them, be with mom. Processing our day, they pray with me. And at the end of our prayer, we always do this. And today I declare I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart. And we hit our chest. With all my mind and all my strength, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And we say that every day. Why do, I, why do I want to teach my kids that? Because I want them to experience life. I want them to experience this perpetual life, this everlasting life. Can I tell you today that, that life is not found in possessions. It's not found in the affections of people. It's found in our affections towards God. Because when we place our affections on towards God, then what happens is we experience his affections towards us. I don't have to work for them. They just happen when I engage him. When I put my attention on him and I pour my affection, I'm like, whoa, this is who he is. The intention of worship is not to receive. We talk about that all the time. We're not coming to worship to receive something. You don't come to a worship setting to receive something. That is not the intention. However, God is a giver so that when we encounter him, we always walk away with something. So the intention isn't to get what he gives me. He's going to give me something. When I get before God, he's going to give me something. But that's not my intention. I'm not going after the gift. I'm not seeking his hand. I'm seeking his face. I'm seeking him. When he shows up, he gives. He's a giver. 
It's one of the facets of God. He just gives, 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 spoils his kids rotten. Blessed. I'll spoil blessed. So we are simply responding to his affections. Hold with me. Can I tell you today that the only reason why God commanded you to love him, heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all your mind, with all your spirit, the only reason why God calls you to that is because that's the way that he feels towards you. He's totally consumed. His love is all about you. He loves you with all of his heart. He loves you with all his mind. You consume God's mind. You consume his spirit. He's consumed. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's totally driven by that. So we're responding to his affections. Can I tell you today that it's easier for you to love a God when you know that he loves you first? That's why it says we love because he first loved. Our life of worship is a reaction. It's a response to the love of Jesus. It would be really hard to love a God that was dictatorial and hateful and mean. Some people have that perception, and that's why they don't love God. But those of us who have the revelation, those of us who knows how, know how much God loves us, it's easy to love him back. I love what David said in Psalm 139, verse 17. And we're getting close to the end. He says this, How precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. His thoughts. How incredibly fascinating his thoughts. Get this little jar of sand here. This is just, I tried to figure it out earlier. It's about 35,000 grains in here, possibly. That's a lot. Those are a lot of thoughts. I did. Benny was counting quarters. I was counting sand. So, if this is just a little jar... If this is just a little one thought of God towards me, that would be enough. It would be enough. I mean, it would be enough to wreck my life forever. I, I, I would be ruined. A little drop in the bucket. And this, 35,000 thoughts, it's a drop in the bucket. It's estimated there are 7.5 times 10 to the 18th power of grains of sand on the earth. That's endless. It's, it might as well be infinity. That's how his affections are towards you. Unending. We, we focus on like three or four the rest of our life. Oh, he loves me. He's a giver. One little thing. One little grain. He's a giver. Go ahead. This week, what I want you to do is ask God to start revealing himself in the mundane. When you're doing something you don't enjoy this week, ask him in the mundane. Show me your wonders, God. Show me your love. 
I would encourage you to start developing moments when we have these moments of prayer together. And this is why, listen, this is the reason why moments are important because moments develop mentalities, okay? So when we get together for a community group or we get together to pray over a meal or we get our kids together and pray over a meal, those moments are what develop our mentality to engage the Father. Those moments are what trains us for the lifestyle. So on Saturday, we're having a night of worship here with Nick Billman, a good friend of ours. I would encourage you to come out. Why? Because you're creating moments. Well, I got this thing. Why don't you just knock out some time and just allow God to have some deeper moments together. This is what I found, is that when I can come into a corporate setting and I can train my heart to worship and train my mind and my spirit, that I'm a lot better in my private settings. That I'm a lot better in the mundane. And this is where we're asking God to reveal himself. And I'm closing with this scripture. And let me just say this before I leave. God is looking for lovers. He wants our affections. He he doesn't want laborers. We'll talk about this later. He's not seeking laborers. He doesn't want workers. He wants lovers. Lovers are the best workers. Get people that love what they do. You don't need to pay them that much. This is the prayer of Paul to the church of Ephesians. And I'm going to read this, but I just want to pray it over you as I'm reading it. So just close your eyes and just receive right now. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God's glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you will be rooted and established in love and will have power together with all the saints to grasp, to understand to comprehend how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.